Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Next One Up podcast. So we had a cool episode, um, our most recent episode, which we did about the NFL draft. Um, mm-hmm. And it's called On the Clock Draft Day Special, if you haven't checked it out yet. But I actually got a listener comment about oh, yeah. some of the things we talked about. Yes, I did, which we mm-hmm. love. Um, we do. We love, actually, when you guys, like, comment on what we say. I mean, obviously, our word is not end-all, be-all. We, we love giving our opinions on stuff. But we're totally mm-hmm. open to, like, having conversations about what's going on in sports. Mm-hmm. And I had a listener um, comment on something that we said when we were chatting about the Texans selecting Will Anderson. Um, and as a reminder, he is that um, edge guy, pass rusher out of Bama that mm-hmm. the Texans traded up to select in the first round. And what the response I got um, – to our comments on him was from the listener was that he might be too small. And I thought that was interesting. So what I actually looked into is his true measurements and how they align with other pass rushers that have succeeded in the NFL. So what I did find out is um, he has similar measurements to DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus Ware was a very dominant pass rusher in the NFL for a long time with the Cowboys. Um, And I will say like, that was about 10, 12 years ago. So yes, Mm -hmm. there are guys who are bigger than that. And maybe the average is bigger, but I think DeMarcus Ware maybe still would be able to succeed um, in this league just because of his pure pass rush ability. I would also say to compare him to someone who is dominating the edge game now is Nick Bosa. Um, So -hmm. Will Anderson is about 10 pounds lighter than when Nick Bosa came out. Okay. So I would say like maybe there is like that lack of size a little bit, maybe that lack of weight, which can be like obviously worked on. Um, but the other right. thing that I will know, and this is something that I always talk about with um, specifically linemen, specifically tackles, and then your um, edge guys is their arm length. Arm okay. length is very key here. And that's something that I always look at. Like how long are you? Um, and Will Anderson's arm length is on point, and we love that. So that right. definitely is something to know and something to look for in that position. And then when I was having this conversation with our listener, he was saying that because maybe he's a smaller guy, he plays a lot of finesse rush. So there are finesse rushers um, who use a lot of their moves, don't use as much strength. And then there are also power rushers, but then there are also speed to power rushers who kind of combine the two. Um, And I think that there can be a value to a pure speed finesse rusher. Um, It does really depend on how their head coach, D'Amico Ryans, who is that defensive mind there, coaches him up. I think if he gets the right tool set for having a um, diverse amount of pass rush moves, it can vote in his favor that he is more finesse, that he might be a little uh, shiftier, maybe a little slippery mm-hmm. as an okay. edge guy. So That's a good I word. do think, yeah, good scouting word. We love that word, slippery. <laughs> um, but I do totally see like where the listener is coming from in terms of like a lack of a power rush, because there is that fear that if you don't bring that physicality, it might not translate well into the NFL. So just right. interesting points. And, and I love having these conversations because it's true. Like everything is up for conversation, especially with these guys who just came in the draft. We really won't know what they're going to look like until they step on an NFL field and, and play even one or two seasons. 
Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, what, how old are these guys? They're pretty young, right? Yes. And they're like early 20s. So like, you got to give them time to mature, you know, fill out, like you're mm-hmm. saying, like ten, 10 pounds is like, a, you know, two meals at Chipotle. I have a few um, sandwiches. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So with that, do you think that if he does, you know, bulk up a little bit, I'll use the phrase bulk up because I don't mm-hmm. want to, because they think about muscle, things like sure, that. Sure. Um, and with the long arms, you think that uh, that eliminates some of the risk here? I think it could. I also think that when a player puts on weight, sometimes they have to change a right. little bit of their play style. Like if he's purely yeah. a finesse guy and then he puts on weight, you might want to add to teach him some of that power side of things, which is right. all in coaching. Yeah. That depends. Well, so we'll see how it goes throughout this year. And, you know, thank you for the listener for having that conversation and allowing us to talk about it on this episode today. Yeah. I think that's really valuable. Definitely. And for everybody out there, don't be shy. We're friendly <laughs> for the most part. Um, but maybe so that's maybe not so, I don't want to say not so friendly, but Harley, <laughs> the NFL yeah. schedule was released yeah. yesterday. Uh, yesterday on May 11th, and for those of you that know, don't know, we are filming or excuse me, recording this on Friday, May 12th. Um, so, with the NFL schedule being released yesterday, um, what are three things that were interesting to you about the release? Sure. So, the first thing I would say is that before the full schedule release, the NFL was releasing um, mm-hmm. certain matchups. Big name right. matchups. So we knew like when Aaron Rodgers' first game at home would be with the Jets. Um, right, right. We knew certain other matchups. We knew the Giants would be playing the Eagles on Christmas Day. So like big kind of like teasers mm-hmm. to get people excited. Um, so they start dropping that, which I think is is a good way to get people excited. Like slowly start, you know, reminding people, hey, it's happening today. Um, right. Get people hype up, hyped mm-hmm. up a little bit. I'd say the Second thing um, is there are definitely going to be more night games. They are letting teams play multiple, like you could play multiple Thursday night, you play multiple Monday night. So there's definitely more night games that are involved. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, um, prime time. Um, Right. And for a season ticket holder, because as giant season ticket holder, we're waiting for the schedule release, of course. What games are we going to go to? We're super excited. And it is a little difficult and frustrating with these night games because um, it makes it harder to go to games, to be honest, and be there in person, right. um, yeah. especially with work the next day. Or, you know, so a lot mm-hmm. of people travel from much farther than I do to go to games. So it definitely is frustrating. Mm-hmm. But the reality is the NFL makes their revenue in TV rights. They don't make their revenue based on ticketing. They're not baseball. Baseball makes most of their revenue and gate revenue because there's so many games and that is part like what's important as what may be more important to them. However, the NFL it's TV rights, it's primetime TV and that's why they're night games. And it's just the way the league is prioritizing it. Um, that 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 point is actually really interesting, though, when you yeah. brought up the comparison between the NFL and um, the MLB in terms of like gate revenue, because I yeah. would think that you know from putting more games like say on nighttime on a Sunday, right? You're gonna you're gonna have lower alcohol revenue from those stadiums. Yeah, I don't think that that mm. is that even a factor. Um, okay, I don't think they like. I think like the NFL is just such a big money maker, regardless that. Yeah, they they won't. Yeah, and I don't think that 
that really mm-hmm. affects people. It's really truly about the TV rights and the money coming from there. Um, and I will say the final thing that is interesting mm-hmm. about this year also has to do with um, broadcast rights. So typically Fox has NFC games during the day and CBS has AFC games during the day. Uh-huh. This year, no network will particularly like own those games, which I think is an interesting change. Like you always thought, okay, AFC is going to like, you know, for New Yorkers, right. Jets game is mm-hmm. going to be on CBS, Giants game is going right. to be on Fox. So they're not necessarily going to be locked in like that, which I think is interesting because um, maybe like some, like the AFC was getting better matchups than the NFC. Like they're more like heavy hitters in that um, conference right now. So maybe that has something to do with it, but that that's definitely going to be something new. Um, right. But for the primetime networks, um, NBC, who owns Sunday Night Football, um, ESPN, who owns Monday Night Football, and then Thursday Night Football with Amazon, those are going to stick. Unless, of course, they're flexing, which is a whole other animal. But <laughs> Yes. As long as they don't have to watch the Broncos so many times on like a Thursday night game, which we all know how painful that was last year. 100%. <laughs> but, well, I, I'm excited, you know, to go to some yeah. games this year, look at the matchups, figure out where we're going. Mm-hmm. But, um, Speaking of going to some games, I got a um, I had a very spontaneous trip last night. Tell me about it. New York to Philly. Um, <laughs> a very good friend of mine said, "Hey, Car, I have an extra sweet ticket to the Celtics Sixers game. If you want to go." Um, and for once in my life, I had nothing planned. And there you go. said, "Let's let's do it." Um, hey, NBA playoffs, great East Coast rivalry. I'm there, mm-hmm. so we took a little quick trip down. Um, Saw a good game for people who didn't really have a stake in the matchup. Um, right. For others, not such a good game. And G, you can elaborate on how you were feeling yeah. watching last night's game. Yeah, it was. I'll just say it. I was a little, I was stressy, depressy after watching that game. <laughs> I was stressy, depressy the whole game. I like need a those, T-shirt that says that. Yeah, it's gonna be <laughs> stressy, depressy on the front, and then you know James Harden and Joel Embiid on the back. Um, <laughs> it was so. As a little bit of a recap for those of you that didn't watch that game last night, I mean, at the beginning, there really wasn't there really wasn't much to miss out on. The Celtics jumped out to a huge lead um, right away, and then the, the Sixers had to claw. I'll just say they had to claw, mm-hmm. claw their way back into it. It was it was something where you know you couldn't tell whether you were going to watch the Celtics, you know, miraculously fold or if the Sixers were going to blow it. Um, <sighs> So they ended up blowing it. And I sound really, I sound really upset right now. I got to calm it down. But, <laughs> you know, with that game, what you did see was Jason Tatum, who was not shooting well for most of the game, yes. go off for probably 16 points in the fourth quarter. Yes. And it took the air right out of the team. And it probably took the air out of the arena. Carly, you were I there. I mean, experience that. that last three that Tatum had just was just yeah. the, da- the dagger. It was, yeah. And it, it was, was interesting that he wasn't really a factor until the end. But the thing is, I mean, he turned it on when it mattered. And right. the thing is, it's like a couple threes later and all right. Yeah. It's one of those <laughs> things where, like, when you're a star player, you're expected to perform. And it can be very tough. And it's it's frustrating mm. when you're not hitting shots and you're not being, yeah. you know, the player that everyone expects you to be. But, you know, yeah. shoot or shoot. And yeah. you never stop. I want to ask you a question as someone who, like, has played basketball a lot of your life. It's a big rhythm thing, right? Like, and if you're not 
on it, it's very difficult to get locked in. What is that like, especially in, in high pressure games? Like, you know, you're just not having it that day. Um, I will say um, it's very frustrating because you as the player, you're like, I'm doing everything right. My yeah. mechanics are there. Everything is feeling good. So you feel that frustration. But, you know, for me personally, when I played, it was always like, all right, so maybe your shot's not going in. You can always play good defense. You right. can always do. And then at some point you you're going to hit something. And for me, it was, yeah, I'm frustrated, but I know at some point my shot's going to fall. And once, once I see that ball go in, I want to see it go in more and more. And then like, there's and that it, momentum change and like mental change. Exactly. Right. It's a mental change where you're like, you're excited, but at the same time, you're like, now I got it. Now let's go. And then it's almost like your, your confidence skyrockets. And then right. you're like, yeah, I'm that guy. On the it's court. an interesting thing because it's different mm-hmm. than a lot of other sports where like in that moment, yes, there are people around you and people defending you. But like when you go to take a shot, like it's you in the basket. And whereas in other sports, there's not really that moment. Mm-hmm. So it's a totally different mental game. No, it, it, it really is. And I think that the hardest thing, and like granted, you know, these are professional athletes. So for sure. them, the, another hard thing as a factor here for them is that imagine thinking about in this moment, like what the media could say about you. Mm. Like you're stinking up the joint in an elimination game. Yeah. Like that sounds bad, but like, it's it, it you you can't help but think about like what if like what would the media say but like you know they probably tune everything out and they're in their zone and they're just thinking about them their team and the game mm-hmm. and it's hard for this first star player to be like that but the Celtics I will say never underestimate a team that's facing elimination sure. um go, going into that game last night I I had a gut feeling that the Sixers weren't going to pull it out just because Boston was backed up into a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have to see who can, who who will show up in game seven because let me tell you, the last four minutes of that game, Joel Embiid not touching the ball and then James Harden looking throughout the whole game like he was just off. Like I don't know if you were yeah. able to catch this in the arena, but he was hesitating like – that you don't see James Harden normally do, you know, tripping over himself. We mm-hmm. never see him doing that. Um, that same James Harden isn't going to show up in the next game. He's yeah. going to he's going to show up as James Harden, a different James Harden than, you know, Houston, but James Harden nonetheless. Sure. Sure. Um, and then I will say I am a sleepy adult. So <laughs> it's hard for me to stay up for the Suns Nuggets the game. The West but- Coast games. It's hard. It's, it's very difficult. I mean, you talk to people who are, mm-hmm. like, who live in this area that are from mm-hmm. the West Coast or are West Coast fans. They're they're exhausted. <laughs> These yeah. people are exhausted. They need some coffee. They need caffeine, whatever's needed. But I will say it was impressive to me to see the Nuggets with an illness going through their locker room, finishing it out. You know, up by 30 at half, really just, I don't, I'll say it, embarrassing the Phoenix Suns. You know, yeah. if you think about back to last season, um, this is back-to-back getting sent home on their home court. Last year, they lost by 30 to Dallas, and this year, they're down by 30 at half. Mm. Like, at this point, Jokic and Luka are debating who owns Devin Booker, like, <laughs> at that point. And what's interesting to me is, like, when you look at that team, you have a Kevin Durant. Granted, Chris Paul is not playing, 
But what does this mean for Kevin Durant going forward? He spoke to the media afterwards. Devin Booker did not. I think that's important to mention here. Mm. Um, I don't know what this does for KD going forward. Like, he has not been able to get over that hump since he left Golden State years ago. Right. It almost felt like I was like, well, that was kind of a waste, like bringing all these guys together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, it did I, feel like I a mean, little bit like a waste. I mean, I will say though that this, I don't think the getting Kevin Durant was meant to succeed this season. I think it's like, yeah, it's great if we do well now, but what, he played like 25 games. With the right. Sun there was that injury year. issues yeah, play, as well. Yeah. Right. Plan for next year. You'll have DeAndre Ayton back. Hopefully they'll, you know, get him in the weight room. He's getting bodied by Jokic, um, which they call him the dad bod God. I don't like that whole, you know, nickname, but whatever works for him. Um, (laughs) But get him in the weight room, bulk him up, get him so he can compete with the other centers that are in the West coast, like an AD, you know, Jokic, any of those players. But um, the Suns, or excuse me, not the Suns, the Nuggets are going to be resting as while the Warriors and the Lakers mm-hmm. are playing tonight to see if they have to go to a Game 7. Right. Um, and I did want to bring this up. This is so fascinating to me, is that the Warriors are the worst road team, or one of the worst road teams in the league. I, I just don't see this going well. And I just saw that Andrew Wiggins is, not go- is questionable for, for tonight because he's healing a uh, rib cartilage fracture. Um, so that is another player taken off the court for potentially taken off the court for the Warriors. Um, so we may be seeing uh, the Warriors going home tonight. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. What yeah. do you think? It's well. Let's just talk about this matchup in general. Yes. Um, this is just from the beginning, obviously one for the ages with LeBron and then Steph Curry, like two Hall of Famers. Um, right. And and when you think about both of these teams, like powerhouse teams, but it's hard to imagine like the Warriors actually like going home in the playoffs. I know. Well, because like okay, crazy stat for all of you out there: Steve Kerr is nineteen and zero in playoff series against against the Western Conference. It's crazy stat. So, so really, they haven't gone home until getting to the final. Exactly, which is which is crazy to in me. recent like, history. I, in recent history, yeah. Right. And that speaks to, you know, the success of the team. It speaks to the success of Steve Kerr. Yeah. But this is not the same Warriors team that we always see. Right. It's, it's not the Warriors team of old. They're changing. They're in a they're kind of in this transition period where, you know, you're you're trying to transition from, you know, you're not moving on from Steph Clay and Dre, but you're adding new additions pieces. to the team. Like, yeah. Yes, exactly. And that does pieces. change the dynamic. It does. And right. you know what? It hasn't helped that, you know, you pay a Jordan Poole and a Gary Payton yeah. and they're not showing up in the playoff right. series like they're supposed to. My other question for you is not mm. only what's going on internally with the Warriors, but do you think that teams in the West look at them as being a successful playoff organization and have added pieces to combat what they're doing? I definitely think so, because if you remember for like the years that the Warriors were so dominant, it was like they it's that like every team was chasing their success. Mm-hmm. And nobody could keep up with them. I mean, granted, that was the scoring power of 
a Clay and a Steph. Right. But these teams were chasing it. And the Warriors, as I said, they're doing, they were building what I would say the right way for mm-hmm. a lot of their championships. Like they drafted well, they fostered a great environment, and they got these players to where they are and they can perform really well. Um, right. But I do think that what you're, that like what you mentioned, teams are replicating that. They're finding that talent and then they're building around their star players to better compete with them. They were, they've always been chasing Golden State. Right, right. They have been the team that you build against to beat, right? No, exactly. And the thing is, is like you see you see Steph struggling more with play, with with uh, other uh, opposing teams that are guarding him. Like they, they kind of have an idea of what he's going to do. Clay isn't the same. Draymond is Draymond. Um, mm. He's not, he's on younger Draymond. He's slowing down a little bit. So teams, teams do have their number. And I think that this, this is showing it. Granted, it's a great matchup, but um, we'll see what happens tonight with Andrew Wiggins being questionable. And then Anthony Davis with, you know, the previous game, we don't know. Apparently he's playing. And I don't want to talk about like, you know, his head injuries or whatever mm. occurred in the previous game, but you know, we will see if he's able to perform at the Anthony Davis level. Um, right. It is an even number game. So maybe he will do well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with the playoffs, there's always yeah. upsets, which we've mm-hmm. seen um, some thus far. And I wanted to talk about in this episode, uh, you know, seeding in terms of playoffs and upsets mm-hmm. and what seeding actually means and how much does it really matter? Because the reason we really call them upsets a lot of ways is like, oh, you know, this lower seed beat this higher seed. We were not expecting that. That's an upset right. because normally the higher seed is considered the dominant team, or at least they appear mm-hmm. to be up until that point. So we've seen quite a few upsets, and I wanted to kind of unpack that idea of seeding, how much it really matters, and, and what it means in terms of upsets. Right, yeah. It's, it's looking at it from an NBA perspective. I really want to look at that Heat-Bucks matchup that mm. we witnessed where yeah. you know, the Bucks. everyone was talking about the Bucks being title favorites, and then the Heat came in with injuries – and beat the Bucks. I think part of it is you have to respect playoff Jimmy. If you look at that that specific mm-hmm. matchup, playoff Jimmy is he is Jimmy freaking Butler. He will yeah. go off and he will and he will um, what's the word looking for? Energize the team that's around him. Mm-hmm. I think I think when you look at how seeding occurs, I have it's such a long season. Yes, that your record from the first half. Personally, I don't think it's as important as how you're performing down the stretch. That's a great point. Um, yeah. So with that team, it's like, look at how these teams are performing down the stretch. And then also, they got to want it more. I think the Heat just wanted it more. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah. I think in terms of, and that's a great point that you made saying that, like, your seed doesn't really reflect the mm-hmm. first half of the season because it's such a long season that your momentum could completely change toward the end and you could really pick up speed going into the playoffs, but your seed will still be affected by your overall record, um, which is a really good point. And then, you know, the thing is seeding only goes so far because as you said, there are certain teams that, and certain players that just turn on the jets in the playoffs and it doesn't matter who they're playing, what team they're on, where they were placed, what the matchup is that they're just going to go off. And right. the thing is, you can't quantify that with a number. No, you can't. And that is super interesting. And we see it, of course, we see this constantly with March Madness in terms of seeding. 
Yeah, March Madness, I think that scene is even more controversial because it's up to the um, the opinions and the views of a select group of individuals. Yes. And that's what makes March Madness so, I don't want to say controversial, that sounds like there's a bad connotation there, but it, it, it does get talked about every single year. Right, even like with the college football playoff, like your, yeah, your exactly. NCAA top, that's uh, voted on. These, the th- it's that is super interesting and mm-hmm. but it could go both ways because it's like yeah. your record doesn't really determine who you like sometimes doesn't determine who you are at the end of the season for these longer season sports but so it's like oh well maybe adding opinions does help but at the same time it's like well it's completely subjective at that point. right and i will also say like that number one seed or one two whatever it is that really does put a target on your back. Teams yes, want to take you out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They want to take you out. They want to say like, yeah, I did this. We took down the number one seed. We took yeah. down whoever it is. Like, you know, those teams, those 16 over one seeds in March Madness, mm-hmm. they will be able to talk about it forever. forever because of a number that was assigned to their team before the tournament started. Exactly. And like, I know we're focusing on, you know, basketball, but I did want to transition because we did see some, you know, upsets in the NHL yeah. and like, you know, the NHL playoffs, Carly, like how have you been feeling? I know it can be a touchy subject, but <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so to kind of chat about a little bit with the upset here and, and continue yeah. our seating topic, um, a huge upset that happened in the first round was the Florida Panthers over the Boston Bruins. The Boston Bruins were like the, gods of the NHL this year like they barely lost any games they Mm -hmm. were like it's like well the playoffs is going to go through them and we really thought that they were I was like oh they're going to sweep the Panthers like Panthers not playing that well this year um yeah like they seem unbeatable all this stuff Panthers put up a great fight a great great fight ended up this series ended up in a game seven and the Panthers end up shocking the Bruins. Yeah. And I was watching that game. My jaw dropped and I was just like, Oh my God. Like I really thought Boston was like mm. unbeatable. They, I think they lost. Mm, it might've been like 10 games in the regular season, something like that. And they ended up losing like, you know, multiple games in one week. It, it's just yeah. the fact that that was happening and, what I will say in terms of seeding, the Panthers are a good team. The Panthers were a good team last year. They're a good team. And they mm-hmm. just didn't have as high as a record, so their seeding put them right. in a difficult position. But they have all the pieces to be a good team because they've showed that before. And they were able to figure it all out at the exact right time. See, exactly. Regardless yeah. that the Bruins were, you know, the President's Cup trophy winners, the best team in the league, all these things, the Panthers said, no, we're going to put all the pieces together right now and we can beat this team. Um, yeah. That was crazy. I literally was in shock. I um, think it's some, do you think that it was also something like what we have just been talking about where they did have that target on their back? I think it's possible. To take them out? The NHL jokes, it's called the president's cup curse. That like when you win the regular season, it's like you have this curse on you. Like they refused right. to look at it. They were like they got the president's cup and they were like facing a wall, so they like didn't oh. look at it because they know well, the hockey curse. players are very superstitious. A hundred percent. Oh my god. Um, and that 
it's true. Like, there definitely is that pressure there. And I just thought, like, by watching the Bruins, that they had so much that there was, like, where is the weak point of this team? And the Panthers found it. The Panthers found yeah. it more than any other team this whole season could figure it out. So Yeah, they, they had their number, and they were able to take them down. And it's interesting, like, they did lose those multiple games in that one week. It's almost like they lost one, and it's mm-hmm. like they were deflated. Yeah, in a way, it could, could have been in a way. And, yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I will say, just to wrap up our seeding conversation before I get mm-hmm. more into the NHL playoffs, the NFL is the only, um, I think maybe one of the only situations where seeding like, truly makes sense because one seeds get a bye week, and it's like your motivation right. to have the best record coming mm-hmm. out of your conference. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point, actually. It gives you like that extra break. You literally get passed around to playoffs. Yeah. Without doing anything. You're already around further than everyone else, mm-hmm. which is if, super valuable. I know. I wonder if they would ever in, implement that right. in other sports. But, you yeah. know, the other sports, the seasons are so long. Exactly. The other thing is, and this is a conversation and a debate, is it best to have a re- week of rest and already be around it um, further than everyone else? Or does it throw you off your game because you mm. sat for a week? This will yeah. be an age old. This will be a debate forever because there, who knows, there is truly no answer. No, that's so true, and it's like there's no way to like to to test that. You no, know what I mean, not really. I mean, yes, you could do like a win loss thing, like yeah, see yeah. how. I'm sure, there's some statistic you could pull out, but truly, it, but it's just a. It will be a debate forever. Um, yes. In terms of NHL playoffs, though. Um, I am sad because the Rangers got a little <laughs> in the first round. Um, I'm, I'm still so not sorry. over it, um, but I did get to see an amazing game six, which we talked about. Um, and game seven was pathetic as hell. Um, there's a no. lot of things wrong. We fired our head coach. Um, it's There's a lot that needs to be worked on here, and yeah. it's really disappointing. Like, I really thought we – a lot of people thought we were a better team than this. Like we had a lot of pieces that were like, Ooh, well, that's a good guy. And Oh, that's a good guy, but it's just not paying out. Right. And it was just a really, really pathetic game seven. And, um, uh, the devils were able to move on to the next round. I mean, they're a bunch of kids. They're a bunch of really talented kids, but they're a bunch of kids. I wonder if that like plays anything like, like plays into anything where they're just like, you know, they're they're, like just some young guys are getting together. They're having a great time. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's It's possible that they definitely have a different outlook because no one thought that they, I mean, they were a good team come starting the season, but I don't think people really thought that they would be this good. Um, And they have one of the best, players in the league and Jack Hughes and Jack Hughes like you can see in his interviews like he knows he's good he just goes out and has a great time there you go he, he knows he knows who he is you know what the players around them feed off that yeah they're going he's out super there. confident I mean yeah. in these interviews he knows that he's great um, well, and yeah no, I was I was gonna say that like he knows he's great, and it's like you have to see if they'll be able to keep carrying that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's gonna be good for a long time. The Devils just mm-hmm. got knocked out last night, actually, yeah. um, in an overtime sure. loss to the Canes. The Canes will be moving on. Um, right. And then I will say the other matchup in the East is the Florida Panthers, who had beat the Bruins that we talked about. And right. the Toronto Maple Leafs, who finally broke the curse and moved past the first round. They have been cursed for a long time and have nails to get past the first round of playoffs. They beat the Lightning. And these fans 
like if the Maple Leafs win, Toronto will be insane. I mean, these people <laughs> like die for hockey. Yeah. And they have not like when they got past the first round, it was almost like they won the Stanley Cup. Like that's how excited they were. I remember those videos. Like, and people were like, oh, you just made it past the first round. It's like, hey, you know, don't knock the team. They're excited. Like, <laughs> they'll, be able, they'll be able to take that going forward. Is that your best like, Canadian accent? It's pretty good. No, this is just <laughs> me being like kind of excited and like, you know, loving when like a play, when like curses get broken. Yes, yes. <laughs> Interesting stat though the last time a canadian team won the won the cup was in the 90s when the montreal canadians who are also known as the habs they had had a dynasty and that is the last time a canadian team won the cup which is wild like there's a whole slew of canadian teams um but there are currently two the toronto maple leaves and the edmonton oilers still in the playoffs the Oilers have Connor McDavid, who is the best player in the league. Let me just say, Connor McDavid, they say, is the best thing since Sidney Crosby, who's the best things that they've said since Wayne Gretzky. So let's just just to paint a picture of how good this guy is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'd say that's some good company. Yes. And <laughs> um, the interesting thing about these playoffs that normally I say, like, the West is high scoring. And the East right. has good goaltending. Um, hmm. But I've been noticing more that the East has been high scoring as well. Like there was a Devils-Canes game that was an 8-4 final score. That's insane. Um, which is insane. Um, and it's, I think primarily like the best goaltenders in the league to me are Vasilevsky, who plays for the Lightning. Um hmm. Sorokin, who plays the Islanders, and of course Igor Shosturkin, my guy, who plays the Rangers. And it's interesting; those teams all got eliminated in the first round. So now there's like those goaltenders, those really in, insane great goaltenders. They're not in it anymore, so maybe it allows for a higher scoring um, matchup. Right. Well, it's actually interesting. I was going to ask you this because when you're talking about high scoring, I always see that as you know bad defense, mm. like. So what, how do you view that? Because if I take it to a basketball standpoint for a second, if the person sure. I'm guarding is just going off, they're dropping 56, I'm going to look at myself and say, maybe yeah. I got to improve. <laughs> so I think it just depends on the situation. It could be okay. bad defense. It could be bad goaltending. It mm-hmm. could also be that the teams are just stronger overall offensively. Mm-hmm. They have, more they have players that lean more offensive versus more defensive obviously like there are specific guys that are designated as defense or specific guys that are designated as attackmen but it's like right. where is your strength and mm-hmm. i'd say like these west teams like i mean especially like the oilers like your strength is in Connor mcdavid who is mm-hmm. an attackman who is going to weave through guys and and you know put a beautiful shot on that this is going to be this going to be uh it's going to put you in an awkward spot, I guess. But would you rather have a team, if you were coaching a team, like a hockey team, mm. would you rather have, like, the best offense in the league or the best defense in the league? Can I answer in a totally different way? Yeah, go ahead. I'd rather have the best goaltender in the league. Okay. That makes sense, yeah. That's for me, and it didn't show up. Like I said, obviously it didn't show up in what had happened this <laughs> year. However, yeah. I think it gives you the best. If you find your goaltender, a great goaltender – 
it gives you the best chance for success consistently. Yeah, no, that's like a really you. Good point. You will always find yourselves in the playoffs. Yeah, and you'll be able to hopefully lock down that goaltender for a that, longer period. That of time. is the goal. That that really is truly the the goal. And I also think like if you look at the best teams in like the 2010s, right? Like those are those are like for hockey fans. Those goaltenders were like household names, right? No, yeah. that's true. It's like you you love them, and it's almost I don't want to say like. They're such an integral part of that team. It's like part of the identity of the team. Absolutely, yeah. Like they're your rock, hundred. And there are, and like, would they also like? Were there, are there going to be more of like like leaders on the ice? Like having that consistent goaltending presence and that leadership can it can help the team get better around you. I think it first. I think yes, but it also okay. depends on the type of goaltender. Goaltenders tend to be like weirder guys. Like they have like weird, <laughs> because there's like we spend like they're a little like. You're literally willing to, like, just stand there and get hit by pucks. I mean, in a way. Yeah, um, I, I got you. The, the way they're mental, just, like, to lock in like that, um, yeah. they're, like, can be weird guys. So sometimes they keep to themselves and sometimes they're more of a vocal leader. But um, okay. it just tends, tends to be, like, the dynamic of the team. Also, to note, because there are players that play hockey from all different countries, sometimes mm-hmm. there is a language barrier. Oh, you know what? That is a really good point. I think yeah. I don't think about that. Yeah. So, like, you might have an insane Russian goaltender that mm. his English is not, like, that good. So, he might be, like, I a see. little less vocal in certain ways. Oh. Huh. Because, like, you huh. definitely have to think about, like, where people are coming from and, like, that right. no, and how that works. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that's a good recap of the playoffs, Carly. I feel like yeah. I – I feel like as someone who doesn't know a ton about hockey – but, you know, reads hockey books. Um, <laughs> that, that just helped me, you know, be able to watch the playoffs in a more, I would say, educated light. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love this time of year. I think it's super exciting. Mm-hmm. Honestly, both NBA and NHL playoffs, I always joke, like, I'll watch the NBA playoffs, but in regular huh. season, you have to pick. You're either an NHL fan or an NBA fan because there's just no time. <laughs> He got like 80 something games. It's too much. <laughs> it's a lot. I will say, I know we're talking I know we're talking about like TV schedules before. Mm-hmm. Like the the best is like the first like round one of playoffs when there's a mm. sport on almost All every the single time. night. Yes. yes. And then you get to like round two, and I'm like, what do you mean there's not a game tonight? What do I gotta watch? Last Brittany Bacon there was show? Like two hours between hockey, basketball, and then Sunday night baseball. There's like two hours in between. I remember this, yes. I put on XFL. <laughs> Not the XFL! I, put on, I was like, right, it's a sport. <laughs> when you I was like, I was so like ESPN, what do you got for me? What do you got for me? XFL. It's either that or some, some random, you know, sport that's on, like, ESPN 8. You know what I mean? Like I those miss the channels. Ocho. Yeah. The uh, Ocho. I think they do, like, a competition for that in the summer. It's like oh, a one-day thing, yeah. Love that. Oh, but... Yeah, this was this was awesome. Um, I can't wait for more upsets. Um, yes. More uh, headlines. I think it'll be great going forward. Um, you guys know where to find us. Next one up podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Next one up pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys. Bye. Yeah.